At Northrop Grumman, cybersecurity is at the core of everything we do. Our cyber workforce is defining possible every day in an environment that fosters talent and rewards excellence. Northrop Grumman needs cyber professionals like you to join our team to help defend our nation and its allies. We have openings in Maryland, Northern Virginia, Cincinnati, Ohio, and Tampa, Florida. To begin your journey with us, visit our careers webpage, northropgrumman.com forward slash careers. Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report's weekly cyber report sponsored by Northrop Grumman. I'm your host, Vago Muradian. Joining us today on this very first episode of the Cyber Report in 2022 is John Cofrancesco of Fortress Information Security. He joined us late last year on a number of programs to uh, discuss the implications of the Log4j vulnerability or the revelation of the Log4j vulnerability, which we said was going to be a big issue uh, in this coming year. John, Happy New Year. Hope you and yours had uh, very happy holidays, and thanks so much for joining us. Well, Happy New Year, Vago, and it's great to be with you again. It's an absolute pleasure uh, always having you on the program. And before we get started, our daily podcast is sponsored by Bell. Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage. Northrop Grumman sponsors our cyber report, but as well as our broader cyber coverage. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. GM Defense sponsors our technology coverage. And L3 Harris sponsors our coverage of joint all-domain command and control. John, uh, bring us up to speed on uh, the Log4j uh, vulnerability and where we stand, right? You were one of the uh, people who the day after it happened, uh, the day after it was revealed, you joined us to give us an update. Uh, we've been a little bit ahead of the power curve, we think, on covering uh, this important topic on our year-end program, both Jim Lewis of CSIS, as well as the former NSA uh, director and former Cybercom commander, Admiral Mike, uh, retired Admiral Mike Rogers, talked about the, the magnitude of this. Where, where do we stand, especially through the holidays, on the vulnerability and how quickly folks are moving to patch it? And is there anything that you've seen over the past couple of weeks that changes your appraisal that this is going to be uh, a one-year to 18-month job rather than something that's addressed more quickly? Well, I hate to start the new year with bad news, but I think that initial appraisal is still on the mark. Uh, so what was the vulnerability of 2021 has become the vulnerability and hacking of 2022. So over the winter break, while we've been uh, enjoying the holidays, our friends in uh, adversarial nations, China and Russia most specifically, uh, have been exploiting this vulnerability to hack large institutions uh, from universities to governments uh, and businesses in between. So uh, we're still looking at a rather slow recovery. Uh, I will say to the credit of many of the large manufacturers, large software developers, they have put out patches. And the community just at large has done a pretty whiz-bang job of sharing information and getting materials together. But overall, we're still looking at a vulnerability that is out there and is going to really maintain its presence for quite some time. Um, what are some of the big hacks, right? Belgium's um, Ministry of Defense was hacked. Talk to us about some of the big hacks uh, over the holidays uh, that folks uh, should be aware of. You know, this is actually one of the big failures of 21 is now punishing us in 22. That So we know that unnamed universities, that there have been a couple of government agencies like the one you've named uh, that have sort of come forward and said, yep, they've got us. Uh, but by and large, everything still remains as sort of... Uh, you know, uh, rumor and, and uh, quiet discussions, whispers under the eaves. And, and that's really because in 21, 
you know, Congress failed to mandate a reporting requirement for companies and, and various other agencies. Now, how these rumors are coming to fruition is that for many of the companies who work in the space, right, they have their clients calling them saying, hey, we've been hacked. So that allows you to sort of hit the rumor mill. And, and I think folks have a general understanding of, of, of who's been hit. But the specifics, the things that would really help us as a community to respond much more effectively, and frankly, as a, as a U.S. government to respond, respond much more effectively, they failed to pass in 21. So that is one of the reasons why this is going to be an 18-month ordeal uh, and not a uh, two- or three-month ordeal, as it might have otherwise been. John, I want to take you to the issue of uh, Russia and then get some of the other big issues you think are going to be uh, big cyber problems over the co- course of the coming year. Uh, Russia has, uh, depending on the account, right, uh, 100,000 or 175,000 or anywhere in between uh, of its troops uh, either in and around uh, Ukraine. How is Russia, Ukraine, how is that conflict going to play out in cyberspace? Because this is something that's been a concern of yours for some time. You know, this is, I think, the, the biggest hotspot for international cybersecurity concerns in the world, uh, at least in the short run. Uh, you know, the thing is, is that with Russia, things are always under the thumb of the oligarchy, specifically Putin. So as Russia does not enjoy any soft power anymore, and we saw that evidenced by their, their threat to, to some non-NATO countries this week, they're really forced to do what are, you know, sort of gray attacks. And those gray attacks really for them are cyber. So I think what we'll see in the coming weeks and and months probably is if the situation fails to de-escalate rather than a kinetic attack, which may yet come, uh, certainly we'll begin to experience some cyber attacks. And those cyber attacks may land on big business. They will almost certainly land on government. And they'll be done as a way uh, of Vladimir Putin sort of threatening the West without actually engaging in something kinetic. And, and it may be the case that that's actually going on now. We just haven't discovered it. So uh, I think it's fair to say that the Ukraine situation is a powder keg for all sorts of reasons, kinetic and cyber. But the, the prelude to anything kinetic is very likely to be uh, some cyber some cyber attacks. China has also been very, very active in cyberspace, and increasingly we're seeing Beijing and Moscow uh, on the same page uh, in terms of looking at the United States as its you know, common and mutual uh, enemy. Um, are, are you, do you think that we should be looking for greater connection and coordination and interaction between the Russians and the Chinese in cyberspace in 2022? You know, I've always been of the opinion that, you know, dictators and oligarchs are are friends of convenience because they don't really share mutual interests. Now, in this case, they do, and and their mutual interest is really getting after us. So I think it is very likely that if we have cyber attacks from one, we will see cyber attacks from the other, very likely copycat attacks, right? Because it's very hard to say that the subsequent one to the initial didn't come from the first country. So they really love being able to do that. But in terms of co-coordination, we've certainly heard that the defense experts are really concerned about a, an invasion of Ukraine happened simultaneously with Taiwan, but on a, on a cyber end, I think that's precisely what we'll see. So if the if the heat increases with one nation, it will certainly increase uh, by the other nation, maybe not as much by coordination as by convenience. Um, as you look out uh, to 2022, what are the big cyber stories you see? What do you think are gonna be the big trends, the big stories, the big issues? Yeah, that's so. I and I think you know at Fortress we really have a wonderful relationship with a lot of the asset owners and vendors in the market. So really, just before the close of the year, we had a gathering 
our A2V asset to vendor network governance group got together and we had the likes of Microsoft, but also your American Electric Power, some of the other major names in critical infrastructure. And, and the conversations there were pretty clear, right? That so on the regulatory side, they are both looking for regulations, expecting regulations and, and hoping to find a nice balance between what's necessary to keep us safe, but also what some legislators are looking to do. I think on the other side of that, there is now a real belief, particularly amongst cyber experts in the critical manufacturing, critical industries, that you know the game is on, the game is afoot, and that this is going to be another tough year. And if you look at it from a cybersecurity professional's perspective, it has really been a daunting two years. I mean, you start with SolarWinds, then you get Log4j, and those issues are not slow, uh, you know, not not so fast to, to clean up. They're slow to clean up. So They've really been uh, suffering those. And now there's an expectation here in 22 because of geopolitics and just sort of the nature of where things are that we're going to have an even busier 22 than we've had the previous two years. So um, that's really what the world is seeing at the moment, or at least our world is seeing. And, and we're expecting to have to really face down some demons here in the short term. Um, you know, you... You and I have talked about this uh, issue uh, both on the program as well as offline. JC Vega, uh, who is the CISO uh, Chief Information Security Officer at Devo, uh, joined us uh, last year, and he and he talked about how we're not training talent fast enough, right? That we need a completely different approach because our approach is really not working on uh, on this. So I want to ask you kind of a two part question, right? On the training part of it, and I want to ask you a legislating part of it uh, as well. Um, do, how do we need to change how we train people, John? Because, you know, JC is so on the mark. You know, he's like, you know, 15 years ago, we were 250,000 people short. And then 10 years ago, we were 500,000 people short. You know, and it's like, we're not building the people fast enough. So we have to look at training them in different ways, preparing them in different ways, the way that, you know, that I was brought up or you were brought up, John, are not the way that we should be building up, bringing up another generation of talent. And we also have to do more technologically as well. What, what, how, how, is this a debate that needs to get a lot higher priority because we're just not training the talent as quickly as we need it. And to your point, that's the reason why CISOs don't last more than, you know, 24 months because they get completely burned out. You and I were talking over a weekend uh, after the Log4j thing was revealed and you'd been running on like four hours of sleep uh, uh, for days. And unfortunately that continued into the holidays. And I think it did for many cybersecurity professionals. So when we, when we talk about training and aligning, I think the first thing is that discussion should be done in context of numbers. You know, in the, in the previous century, our enemies didn't outnumber us. Right? It was fair to say that the United States had an equal or larger population than our adversaries. In today's world, that is not true. Uh, there are more Mensa qualified individuals in China than there are individuals in the entire United States. So we have to look at this with the practical reality is that we're going to be outnumbered, right? And if we're going to be outnumbered, that means we need to be two or three or five times uh, more effective than, than our peers. And that means training and education. So I think at an early age, right, we need to get a real focus on, on, onto the maths, onto science. Um, you know, you hear STEM a lot, but in truth, that has not been the prime mover uh, for our, our politicals, right? They're out dealing with all sorts of parochial issues. We really need math and science. 
early, early on. And then at a larger level, you have seen some movement in the DOD. So they, they announced a new vocational type of school, a new community college, really focused on cyber. And that's a good start, but it's really too late. Rather, we, we need to focus on uh, making sure that the individuals we have are absolutely the top-notch possible individuals, changing some funding around how we train those. Um, one of the things I would recommend if I, if I could you know, wave the magic wand in the Pentagon for a day is instead of treating uh, cybersecurity folks, their, their training budget as a training budget, they ought to just make it a base requirement. And so every year, a certain percentage of their time ought to be spent right. committed to learning new skills and advancing what they can do. Ending that type of stagnation will help to put us out in front. And then combining that with adopting new technologies should help to offset, frankly, the numbers and balance we have to our, our adversaries. Philip Niedermeyer uh, has been, uh, as you know, very, very passionate about sort of a national cyber education curriculum for a long time. Ron, Ron and Cindy Gula uh, created their foundation in, in order to try to encourage and reward uh, and attract people to the cyber vocation. Um, is, is, you know, I mean, during the World War, John, we incentivized engineers, right? I mean, the government gave you scholarships, right? They, you know, we did all sorts of things to build up that uh, engineering cadre that, that put man on the moon, but, you know, helped the United States excel because we had a lot of engineering, technical and scientific talent. Is, is it time to, to treat cyber the same way, right? Not to treat it as some sort of technical, oh, you know, he's the ID, IT dork. Uh, they're the IT dorks uh, who, who hang out in the back. Uh, as opposed to folks who need to be much more integral, much more in the forefront, and and not sort of fringe players, but actually core players in national security? You know, that's so I think that is the case, but I think how we're going to have to get there, unfortunately, is, is going to take something beyond government. You know, if, you, if we wind back the clock to 36, 37, 38, right, just before World War II, uh, in the United States, anyhow, you have guys like Etzel Ford and Bill Knudsen, right? So names that are not really known today, but but they had kind of sat down and said, hey, we know war is coming. And it was because of their preparation in the late 30s that in the early 40s, we were able to deliver the arsenal of democracy, right? That So we win that war by virtue of uh, folks having the forethought, business people having the forethought to get out in front of that. And I think that's what we saw at our A2V governance conference uh, before the holiday. And that is what we need to see more of across the country, because the, the fact of the matter is government is not responding quickly enough. And if big business doesn't take seriously these threats and they don't start to do things really out of, out of patriotism, we are going to find ourselves further behind. And so I think that is beginning to happen. Historically, we've had real heroes in this country who have done it. Uh, you know, I mentioned Bill Knudsen, the man was an immigrant to the country, left his job as the CEO uh, of, of a major auto manufacturing company, uh, you know, ran, really ran GMC Chevy, um, ultimately to become a, a $1 general. So he was a three-star general making the salary of $1 uh, for the purpose of preparing us and getting us spun up for World War II. We're going to need some of the same of that now. And, and, if, and if that doesn't happen, I just don't see how we win. Do, do we need to change the way that we're training cyber talent more broadly? Is JC on the right track on that? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I think that you know, there was a time when a lot of professions were, you know, psychologists, for example, were, were, you know, if you wind back the clock 50, 60 years, those were professions that were teased, right? And certainly if you were going to see those professionals, you were teased. 
that the cyber deal is the same thing. So we need to get out of the idea that the cyber folks are nerds and into the idea that the cyber folks are warriors, right? This is a, should be a lauded class, class of people, folks that have elected to get into the fight, because frankly, this is not an easy gig, right? When you're missing Christmas with your kids, because you have to make sure the country's secure, that, that is not an easy gig. That is what these folks have now faced two years running. Um, and I think that is how we change it. It's, there's a cultural change there, and then there's a change in terms of the actual training. Uh, and again, I think that training starts early on with the, with the maths and, and the STEM education, and then sort of winds forward into sort of more tactical education, less of the uh, sort of liberal arts that you would typically experience at a major institution today. What are the other uh, big issues uh, that we should keep our right? Right. Talk to us about what you think would be. Let me put it this way: What, what do you think? Right. Give us give us a category of what could be a positive surprise and what could be a, a negative uh, surprise. Right. Sort of like what what's the kind of stuff that keeps you awake at night and what is it that, you know, right, if if we do it right, we end up actually in a better place. Right. What's what's the positive outcome scenario and the negative outcome scenario? Yeah. But so I would really love to see uh, a separate and independent bill, maybe two come out of Congress, signed by the president, that's bipartisan, that adds reporting requirements to cybersecurity events, that really aligns the distinction between the FBI, CISA, and some of the other agencies, and who's managing cybersecurity events. And most importantly, a one or a two-page doctrine that, no kidding, defines what the boundaries are for what America is going to consider within its cyber borders and what America is going to consider outside of its cyber borders. I think if, if really we got that combined with a bill, that would be a stunning victory. That may happen. And so I think that that's sort of looking at the bright side. Uh, on the other end of that coin, uh, the other side of that coin, I think what we're looking at is a series of sort of continuation attacks, many of which probably using Log4j, and, and the worst of which could be a pointed attack on, on critical infrastructure, power, water, sewage. Uh, really as a, the precursor to some event in, in either Taiwan or Ukraine. And in, in uh, last question I want to ask you, right? I mean, you try to keep your fingers uh, on the pulse uh, of the administration, right? I mean, it, it is, uh, you know, recognized as, as a, a great team uh, that's focused on doing the right things. What are, what are your expectations uh, that we'll see uh, from the White House and, and from the administration, right? I mean, you, you hitch, hit, put your, you know, hit, hit, hit the uh, nail on the head when you talked about uh, the cyber reporting requirements. It was uh, supposed to be in the NDAA. Unfortunately, it didn't uh, survive. Uh, uh, Rick Scott of Florida, uh, as well as uh, Mitch McConnell, pulled that out uh, at the last minute with, with a lot of frustration. But I mean, we still, we, we still got the, the measure and there are hopes for standalone legislation on that. But what are your expectations and, and your hopes uh, that the administration uh, is going to achieve uh, and put on its uh, to-do list over the coming uh, 12 months? You know, this is a really interesting 12 months. We're coming into an election season. Uh, if we get another uh, colonial pipeline, it is going to materially change what happens at the election. So I am hopeful, and I think there's a real chance that we're going to get some material changes to the law before the election that are going to help mitigate what may be coming down the pipe. And, and let's not kid ourselves, Putin, Xi Jinping, these guys are strategic. They know we have an election. They would love to send the legislators home on the back of a major attack and cause a huge kerfluffle uh, in time for our elections, not the least of which might be attacking the elections themselves. 
that is an absolute possibility. So I, I would love to see, and I, and I hope that we're going to see some legislation to come out before then. In terms of expectations, you know, frankly, I, I am loath to give you expectations at this point because there were some things that were absolutely layups that should have and could have been done and were not done in the last year uh, to the point of just being utterly flabbergasting if you work in, if you work in the, you know, the, the cybersecurity field. So uh, low expectations, high hopes, and certainly there's a lot of reason for these folks to move and move quickly. Uh, and, and what were uh, some of the uh, baffling uh, ones in, in your book that you found so frustrating? Well, I think you've mentioned them earlier, right? But so failing to include some of the requirements in the NDAA is just, you know, like I said, flabbergasting. Uh, how that could get left out is just beyond me. I mean, it just seems that it is the, the most basic level of responsibility if you're going to respond to this on a, on a national security basis. But that isn't the only area, right? I mean, you now have internally, you know, a really a great team at CISA, really have the right pedigree to do a good job, but they're, they're really duking it out between some other agencies, some of which are at Homeland Security, to really gain the power necessary to, to go out and, you know, face this afield. And so that having not been delineated well enough is just shocking, right? Like how would you really empower CISA with a bunch of budget and the right folks and then not say, hey, you're really in command at this level? Uh, just baffling. And I think beyond that, really in the, the DOD space, so we saw a walk back of the CMMC. And, and to be clear, I've always been a fan of changing the CMMC, but not a walk back. Um, that, so I would have thought they would have induced sort of more uh, automated approaches to these things. Uh, they, they walked it back and really, you know, that is to the benefit of the folks who were likely going to face this year. So uh, you know, you hear me talk about face or almost adversarial. It's, it's almost like a, a sporting event, but it's a sporting event with much more dire consequences. Uh, and that's how I, I would love to see the industry look at it on Capitol Hill. I, I think in industry, we do look at it that way, but it is very much, uh, you know, this is who we're going to face. Let's get on with it. And again, it's just baffling that, that those things weren't done last year. Let's just for a second say that Senator Scott, right, let's play devil's advocate. His concern was onerous requirements on smaller businesses, especially, right? Are, are we doing enough uh, to address that challenge? Because again, CMMC was also about sort of trying to certify, at least trying to improve uh, or get a better sense of what uh, our cyber vulnerabilities are, right? I mean, a kind of a fire safety rule. So if we're delaying that, what do we how do we do this at this point, right? I mean, John, do we end up another two years behind? I mean, is there a quick way to try to both assess the extent of our vulnerabilities, A, right, which is one of the things CMMC was trying to do, but B, be able to at least try to help smaller folks improve their cybersecurity so they're not as vulnerable, right? I mean, what do we need in the absence of CMMC and in the absence of a broader plan how do we do do that, right? Because the bigs have a tendency of being able to fend for themselves well. The challenge tends to be acute for smaller guys that might not have the resources or may have chosen not to spend the resources or, or have been more risk tolerant, right? I've gone back and forth on this and a bunch of different ways that this could be approached. And then there's certainly not one, you know, end all be all solution. The one thing I will say that needs to be established is we as a country need to more firmly, and I think as a DOD, more firmly establish what the perimeters are, what the borders are of cyber protection. Uh, 
you know, put that in physical context. If a Chinese ship showed up in Charleston and started, started bombarding the city, uh, we would respond to that pretty quickly, right? And we would respond to it in a very, very uh, aggressive manner. If the same thing happens in cybersecurity, you know, it's not to say that we don't respond, but we don't respond with the same vigor and we don't treat it with the same seriousness. We don't treat it as a violation of territory. And so we, we need to start getting the thought around the fact that there is a, a cyber medium, right? It's a, literally a cyberspace. There, there's a border. We need to decide where that border is. And I think when it comes to, to members of the defense industrial base, the Pentagon is ultimately going to have to extend its network, at least around the small manufacturer. So it's going to have to say, hey, small manufacturer, small, small member of the DIB, we are just going to provision you the appropriate stuff. Maybe you have to pay for it, maybe you don't, but we're going to put you under the yoke of our protection because less than doing that, we're just going to re- maintain what we have today, which is slowness to security, two, three, four, 10 years behind, companies avoiding the security for lack of enforcement. So I just don't see another way to it. I'd love to hear some alternative solutions, but ultimately setting those borders and extending the yoke of protection uh, to the smalls is, is what's going to have to happen. John, always a pleasure having you on. Uh, thanks very much. Looking forward to having you back on again over the course of the year. Uh, always uh, always great hearing from you. Thanks so very much. Happy New Year and all the best to you for uh, the coming year. Thanks so much. Well, Happy New Year and thank you again for having me. From cyberspace to outer space, Northrop Grumman cyber technology spans all domains and all aspects of national security. We are delivering the next generation of cyber capabilities that protect our nation and its allies. Visit northropgrumman.com forward slash cyber to learn more.